you're listening to The Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense, discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. All right. All right. So we're back. We are back with another episode of Perla Spouse. But before we begin, as per usual, we'll go through all of our little announcements. Uh, first and foremost, if you haven't already, please rate us on iTunes. Sub- I, like, Is there a subscription? We don't have a subscription. But join us on social media. We have a Discord. Come join us on Discord. Uh, and we have a Patreon. So if you want to see extra cool content that is exclusive to our patrons and help support the show, please do. Uh, you're more than welcome to do that. And yeah, for those who are uninitiated, possibly to the podcast, we take a weird random medieval text, we contextualize it for you guys, and we turn it into something you can use in whatever you're doing, whether it's writing, creating video games, or creating tabletop games, or, you know, just listening to us for the hell of it, for fun. You know, that's what we're here for. That's what we do. So we are, I guess, coming close to the end of Perilous Faust now. Yes, it's possible, though I'm not going to swear to it, that this might even be the last episode. Ooh. Because there are 35 branches and we're about to start number 30 and we're still in, as you may remember from the last episode, if you're listening to these in order, kind of a run of short branches near the end. That's right. Very short branches. So like, even though we have six branches left, we have... I'm showing this to Zoe, who can, but you can't see it. We have this much <laughs> actual good, book left. And it's this like a good is half inch there. We finished. We've got some space. We've got some time left. Yeah. And don't forget, future Mac, here's where the previously on goes. Previously on, Perlis Vouts. Lancelot goes to the castle of the Griffins. Lancelot escaped the castle of the Griffins. Brienne of the Isles is defeated and becomes Arthur's treacherous vassal. Arthur is menaced by foreign kings. Lancelot accepts a quest to go to the Perilous Chapel and then again to the castle of the Griffins. Boom. Okay, so with our recap done, shall we just jump straight in? Let's. Alright, so. Meanwhile, Lancelot has met a gravely wounded knight and they have the following conversation. So, gravely wounded knight, what is your deal? Sire, I have come from the Perilous Chapel, and I could not defend myself against the evil ones who appear there. Yes, I'm going to keep doing this the entire time, and this is a long quote, so get ready for it. <laughs> I was they wounded me, as you could see. If it had not been for a maiden who came there out of the forest, I would never have escaped alive. But she helped me so that if I saw a knight named Lancelot or Percival or Sir Gawain, I wasn't really sure. But anyway, I might tell the first one to go and meet her without delay, for she is surprised that none of them has come to the chapel, because none but good knights may enter. But I wonder much that the maiden dares go there, for it is the most perilous place in the world. She is the greatest beauty, but she often goes to the chapel all alone. A knight lies there in the tomb. He was but killed recently, and he was a wicked, cruel, and bold knight. Who's this dead knight? Anuris, the bastard. He was killed by Melio of Low Grace, to whom he gave a wound that could only be cured by someone who has Anuris' sword and part of his burial shroud. Anyway, I'm looking for those good knights. You've found one. He's me. 
Good luck, buddy. <clears throat> I assume he dies there. He might? It is, I don't think, specified. Well, I made the dying sound, so he's officially gone now. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, basically, Lan- Lancelot says, Inshallah, and leaves, and it doesn't say whether the guy survives. R.I.P. Or he doesn't say Inshallah, because right, I think he'd be burned at the stake in those steps <laughs> for saying Inshallah, but he says something yes. to the same effect. Indeed. Alas. He goes on to the Perilous Chapel, which I will describe from the text. And this is the very same... Is this the Perilous Chapel that was in the Perilous Cemetery that Dindrain had already gone to? I don't think so. Oh. But it could be. A lot of things okay. are perilous. This is true. I just... We've already had a Perilous Cemetery and a Perilous Chapel. And there's a fair beauty maiden, and Dindrain was already looking for her brother. So, these coincidences... Yes. I'm starting to think that this guy wants to just finish his draft. It does seem very much like he's just going to the end. Like, I feel like he didn't have an outline. He just kind of rambled and then he was like, oh, I'm I'm, I'm already several thousand words deep and my hand is getting tired. Let's try and make an end. Because the other part of it is that there are so many loose ends to tie up. How is he going to do it? Oh, no. It's bold of you to assume that he ties up his loose ends. (sighs) Ah, Ah, well, okay. I'll suffer. Alright, so the Perilous Chapel is described the following way. It was very dark, for it was lit by a single lantern which shone but dimly, and there in the middle of the chapel he saw the tomb in which the knight lay. When he had offered up a prayer to an image of Our Lady, he came up to the tomb and opened it as quickly as he could. I don't know why. He just hauls ass and flings the thing open like he's flipping a table. Apparently, yes. I don't know why he opens it so quickly. Like, there's, I don't think he's, there's any time pressure. But there he saw the huge and terrible knight who lay dead within. The cloth in which he was shrouded was smothered in blood from his wounds. Lancelot took the sword which lay beside the knight and began to tear open the shroud. He took hold of the knight's head so as to lift him up, but he was very heavy and so leaden that Lancelot found it very difficult to move him. He cut away half of the knight's winding sheet, and thereupon the tomb began to crack so violently that it seemed as if the chapel were crumbling down. Oh, no. And when he had taken the cloth and the sword, the tomb closed straight away. Lancelot came to the door of the chapel, and there in the graveyard he thought he saw huge and terrible knights mounted on horseback, ready for combat, and they seemed to be staring at him. Are these the dark shadow knights? Are these the knights with the flaming swords? It's something similar because at this point a maiden shows up and commands the terrible knights to wait. She then addresses Lancelot, and this is our next dialogue. Alright, drop the loot. Who are you? Why do you ask? Direct quote. I do not know if it will be to all my loss or gain. There was a time, but a short while ago, when I would have been most unwilling to ask your name, for I was often disappointed. I am Lancelot of the Lake. Another direct quote. Oh, well then you must indeed take the sword of the cloth. But now you must come with me to my castle, for I have often desired you as I have desired Percival and Sir Gawain, and you shall see three rich tombs which I have made for you. This should sound familiar. Is this her again? (laughs) This is her again. Let's go! This is our girl boss. I don't think she was Irish last time. I don't remember what she was. (laughs) I don't remember either. But yes, this is the haughty maiden who has three tombs in which she wants to entomb Lancelot, Percival, and Gawain. 
But She's wisely, Sir, Sir Lancelot's response to this is basically, that sounds creepy, I will pass. Because he's been warned about her. Or at least Gowan intended to warn him about her. I don't think we ever got that in the text. Well, maybe he's got like a little bit of a brain after all. All right. And then she goes on. You have to, because I have these demons under my control. Demons cannot harm a Christian man. Yeah, right, sure, look it, whatever. You're not coming to my castle. Give me the sword. No. Another direct quote. Oh, Lancelot, you are so hard and cruel to me, and it grieves me deeply that you have the sword, though you must be glad indeed, for if it were not in your possession, you would not be free to leave here. I would have whatever I wanted of you, and have you taken back to my castle, and you would never escape from there, and I would be absolved of all the guardianship of this chapel, and from having to come here as I often do. But... Now I am thwarted, for no one can do you harm or hold you here while you have the sword. Okay then. Bye. She just gave up the ruse. He didn't know that. The exposition is completely unnecessary. Like if she had just said like, come back to the chapel, I will... You know, I want you. Yeah, come back to my castle. Leave your sword, we'll have dinner. Like, she might have gotten what she wanted, but she's like, come to the castle to see tombs. And he's like, no. <laughs> I, not my thing. Sorry. Okay. Also, didn't the wounded knight say that a lady was directing him to find one of those three knights yep. for the sole purpose of finding the sword? Yes. I think there's some kind of curse where if she manages to catch them, then she doesn't have to come back to the chapel. Like, she kind of alludes to that in her exposition. But why, so was she, pl- she had to be planning to intercept them then, because there was yeah. no other way that she'd be able to do this with, with the sword. Lance- like she had to get there before Lancelot opened the tomb. Maybe that's what he hauled. He went in there. He's like, this place is creepy. It might've worked out if she had gotten there first. Although like Lancelot presumably would have still said like, I want to do the thing I came here to do first. And then we can go back to the castle. True. Cause they're really, you know, stubborn about that stuff in this. Yeah. I don't know what she was thinking. That seems like a really bad idea. Well, you've got to remember, this is the same woman who was is looking for three specific knights, but refused to ask any knights their names. Yeah, because she was too much of a bitch about it. Literally, too much of a Yeah. <sighs> Although the text called her the haughty maiden, not the bitchy maiden, but... True, true. But she could have pulled the damsel in distress thing. We've seen that earlier. It worked for the Baron knights earlier. Yeah. Man. She's, she's kind of, she girl boss too close to the sun. She's just not good at plans. She's very clear on what she wants, but she her plans <laughs> are not good. She needs to get her MBA. <laughs> to help her girl boss? Yeah, obviously. Also to help her, like, climb the evil ladder just a little bit more. Yeah. Gotta get that MBA. I mean, assuming you're not too attached to your soul. <laughs> True. Anyway, Lancelot leaves, and after traveling some more, he ends up unknowingly sleeping in that orchard near the castle of the Griffins that we saw before. Ah yes, the castle of the Griffins. Someone sees him and alerts the lady of the castle, who proceeds to sneak up and play Sleeping Beauty, waking Lancelot with a kiss, and then we have our next dialogue of of the chapter. Where Lancelot awakes with a, what? Where am I? You're with someone who loves you. Look, I don't want to be mean. You can rule this castle if you want. 
I only wish you loved me like I love you. Speaking of the castle, I need the head of one of your griffins. <laughs> That's right, for the quest. Yes. He's got a fetch quest. No, you don't. I only put out the story that that was part of the cure in order to lure you here. In that case, I'll be on my way. This is a direct quote. Ahem. Oh, Lancelot, you are such a good knight, but so bad and lacking in other ways. I do not believe that any knight in the world would have refused me but you. And that comes from your baseness and presumption in your cowardly heart. The griffins have failed me, for they did not kill you and strangle you while you were asleep. If I thought that they would kill you, I would bid them come here now. But the demons have endowed you with so much chivalry that no one can defend himself against you without great difficulty. I would love you better dead than alive. Truly, I wish your head were hanging with the others at the gateway. And if I had thought that you would fail me like this, I would have brought my father here while you were asleep. He would have killed you most gladly. No one who knew of the understanding between you and me should take you for a good knight. For by custom of this castle, you won your right to be by drawing the spear. But your baseness and indolence keep you from taking me as long as we're doing criticism i don't think it's a great sign that you're wishing me dead so soon after kissing me well it's clear that this kiss is the only reward i'm getting <laughs> yes <laughs> Woo. very sudden like swerve into like you should be dead you should be dead Killed by the Griffins, killed by my father. She literally you, gave him the way out. She gave him the way out. And she's yep. just mad that he won't sleep with her? Pretty much. Oh my gosh. I mean, at a certain point, like, she does have an entire castle and she does love him. Would it not be better to settle down and have a castle? But at the same time, she flip-flops so easily. I'm kind of glad that Lancelot is looking for warning signs and not jumping into relationships so quickly. I'm proud of you, Lancelot. You've grown. I didn't fabricate that. He says, well, he says like a whole paragraph, but the, the main idea is, quote, someone who kisses a man or a woman in the same day wishes him or her ill is treacherous indeed. And he's not wrong. No, that is a good lesson. Street smarts. Street smarts. There we go. This early into the episode. Wow. So that's the lady of the castle of the Griffins. I do like that the Griffin part was just her making stuff up and like spreading the rumor around so he'd come back. This immediately needs to be added to the quest that we talked about last time. Yes. There is no actual is quest. He needs the, the sword and the shroud, but not the Griffin. <laughs> but not the Griffin. That's just to ensure that she came back or that he came back. Lancelot then travels to the Perilous Castle where Melio of Logris lies bedridden. He informs, what we name her, Alexandria. Yes. That the griffin's head is not needed. And she admits that she knew that. She was in on it? Well, remember, part of her motivation here was just to make Lancelot suffer. That's true. That's, that's very true. I shouldn't be surprised. Like, I think she would have been fine with it if he'd ended up getting in, uh, decapitated and put in the tomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These women are clever, man. Except for the haughty maiden, who is... She's not clever. Think, she's just I think she's haughty struggling. is, like, a good description of her main problem. She's so, like, 
confident in herself that she doesn't second guess her plans. She's just like, I'm going to go find him and I'm going to do it. And doesn't think maybe I could do this in a better way. Best villain ever. It is a good villain. Absolutely best villain ever. Because she's sitting there. She's like, you know what? I don't want to hear anybody's name because they're not as good as me. They don't. I don't want to hear it. I just don't. I don't need their name in my ears ever. But, uh, man, how do you expect to figure out who's Percival and Lancelot and Garwin? Shut up, Frederick. I'll figure it out. I'll find them. They'll come to me. It has to happen. Like, girl. (laughs) And then you just see all of her hijinks go horribly wrong, but she's so sure of herself every single time. Mm -hmm. It's like Mm -hmm. Doofenshmirtz in Phineas and Ferb. I never saw that cartoon, but I have learned of it from the internet. It went way harder than it needed to. Like, it was actually very good. I enjoyed it as a kid. But yeah, like, Doofenshmirtz is so sure of his plans the entire time. He's like, ah, yes, with my, I don't know, butt fartinator 3000, I will stink up the entire dry state area. And then it obviously fails, but he's confident every single time. And that's what counts. But anyway. Anyway. <laughs> I'm just going to move right past the Bartonator. <laughs> he comes up with really stupid inventions that could have been one. I don't actually remember. So they use the cloth and the sword to heal Melio, or possibly Meliot. I, I think I've been going back and forth on how to say his name. Fair enough. Who is grateful. And Alexandria promises to no longer hold Lancelot's actions against him. Lancelot then returns to Arthur's court, where there is trouble. Ooh. Quote, the king was most alarmed because Madaglan was conquering his isles and a great part of his land, and many of the people whom he had conquered were abandoning the new law in fear of death and returning to the false faith. Sir Gawain and many other knights had left the court of King Arthur in quest of adventures, as was their custom, and so the king was trusting more in Brienne of the Isles than in them. His sworn enemy. Well, you, you might remember in the last episode, <laughs> he defeated him, and so Brienne became his vassal, and then... Almost immediately, he became, like, an advisor figure. That's right. But he's, like, totally grand viziering the whole advisor thing and plotting against Arthur secretly. He's such a bad king. No wonder. It does like, seem the, oblivious. The entire story is based on the premise that Arthur was actually a bad king. Or at least has very much declined. I think, it, I think the idea was that he started as good and then kind of screwed up. Became lazy. What can you do? Arthur sends Lancelot to deal with Madaglan. Lancelot is successful and personally kills Madaglan himself before proceeding to reconquer all the lands he had taken. He then proceeds to conquer Madaglan's kingdom, Oriand. That's a summary of like a page, but that's pretty much all it says. It's like, he, he, he fights, he fights, he wins, he wins. Huzzah! And we are told about Madaglan's kingdom the following. The people of that kingdom were heathens! For they worshipped false idols and false images. Of course they were. They saw that they would not be able to defend the land now that their lord was dead, and many let themselves be killed because they did not wish to abandon their evil faith. Which is an interesting uh, way to phrase a religious genocide. Yeah. Yeah. Also, martyrism. Like, you could you could just say it's they're being martyrs, but no, we're I not even going to honor them I think you can only be martyred for, for Jesus, at least according to this text. I don't think they'd use martyr for anyone who's not Christian. I guess. I mean, technically, yes, all these people are being martyred for their faith, but that's not how this. But they're text not. Is yeah, of course, it. this text's not going to bring it up that way. But those who were willing to turn to God were spared. How am I not surprised? 
Lancelot thus conquered the heathens and converted them to the law of our lord. Lancelot kill count question mark? Yes. Yes. Probably up with... Percival at this point. Percival at this point, yes. But the ones we've been given numbers for, it's only... Lancelot kill count 17. Because we are told he killed Mad Eglan himself. Ah, yes, okay. Fair enough. He ordered the destruction of the false images of copper and brass which they had worshipped before, from which false replies came to them from the voices of demons, and bade that crucifixes and images be made in honor of our Lord and his sweet mother to confirm the people of the kingdom in the new law. Zoe is making a face, which I think is because of the, like, weirdness of, melt down your false images, make new images! Yeah, <laughs> try these gods instead. Also, what is what is the Catholic obsession with Mary? I really don't understand it. She's she not gave birth divine. To God. I know, but she's not divine. So quit worshiping her like she is. I'm she probably was born without sin, mm, according to the Catholics. I don't is understand. Is that only, is Immaculate Conception only a Catholic thing? Yep. Oh, I thought it was a all Christians thing. No, because the only person born without sin is Christ. That's kind of his whole deal. <laughs> Huh. He lived the perfect life without sin, therefore. See, I thought it was, like, accepted pan-Christian doctrine that, like, Christ could only be born to someone without sin, and therefore Mary had to be also born without sin. Nope, no, you're that shaking is, your head. That is very not universal. Mm. I mean, this is what I get from getting most of my ideas of Christianity from, like, medieval research. <laughs> I know, right? It's the it's the weirdest thing. Ah. <sighs> I just, even even if you do go with that idea of Mary's, you know, sinless birth, why are, why are we making images of her and Christ to worship? Why are we worshiping Mary? I just don't get it. Anyway, yes. She is a saint. I don't get the whole saint thing, but we've had this discussion before, so I will yeah. not bore our readers or listeners with it. But um, yes, you know, melt down your old gods and try these new ones instead. Personally, I think this whole saints thing makes sense, but that's also because, like, I'm not part of it. I don't have a dog <laughs> in this hunt, so that's I'm just fair. like, yeah, okay, yeah. Talk to someone who's specialized in your deal, who can talk to God for you. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> it's like having a professor. Yeah, yeah, you, you don't want to go straight specialty. to, like, the president of the university with your problems. Instead, you talk to your professor, and maybe they kick it up the chain, or maybe they can help you themselves. And, and you, you talk go. to someone who's more acquainted with your with your business. That's the best analogy ever. Also, bones with gold on them. Super cool. Super cool. I will not deny that. Yeah, I think relics, we can all agree. Relics are dope. <laughs> anyway, they try to make Lancelot king of Oriand, but he declines, saying he would only take such a position, quote, on behalf of King Arthur, unquote. Meanwhile, we are told, Brienne of the Isles and King Claudus are conspiring through secret messages to deal with Lancelot. Brienne goes to Arthur and tries to convince him that Lancelot is planning to set himself up as king in Oriand. Arthur summons Lancelot back to speak with him. It's a bit of a farcical element, and so I will quote. King Arthur sent word to Brienne, telling him to have forty knights come to the hall, fully armed beneath their cloaks, ready to seize Lancelot as soon as he gave the word. Ooh, this is a Game of Thrones moment. 
where like they all file into the main hall and they've all got their cloaks on and we know because we've been watching from this perspective that they've all got their swords you know and they're all standing with their cloaks and it's all hidden and then Lancelot comes in and he's like I did it my lord I'm excited for this moment this is very theatrical well, the farcical element is news reached Lancelot that the king had summoned knights to the palace in full armor. Oh, come on. I was so excited. <laughs> and so Lancelot supposed there was some reason for it and thought he should carry arms too. Okay, that's smart. Okay, I'm here for this. He donned his armor and came to the hall where the king was. So he's just like, oh, we're wearing armor today? Great! <laughs> and shows up in his. I love how stupid he is. Naturally, Arthur takes this as intent to do him harm because he just showed up armed and orders the 40 knights to seize him! Yes! Let's go! Lancelot again confounds our kill count by killing, quote, many of them before he is overwhelmed and thrown in the dungeon. And that is the end of Branch 30. Ooh, one of our heroes is in the dungeon of his own home. This is exciting. Yes, but we're back to Percival and now. Ah, okay, yes. Yes. Branch 31 goes back to Percival, whom you may recall is off to rescue his sister from a forced marriage to Aristor. That's right. Isn't Aristor a Tolkien? Hang on. How did I not notice this before? Aha! Yes. The chief of Elrond's household. How is it spelled? Hang on. A-R-I-S-T-O-R. Oh, okay. Different spelling. Still counts. You just knew the name of the chief of Elrond's household at I'm the re-re- top of your head. Okay, I am rereading Lord of the Rings right now, Okay. Okay. <laughs> Don't ask me how I know all the Silmarillion names and all that. (laughs) (laughs) Nerd. (laughs) You're one to talk. I know, right? (laughs) Anyway, Percival arrives at Pelis' hermitage, only to discover that Pelis is dead. People keep dying off stage in this. Okay, so the Fisher King is dead. We knew that. Mm -hmm. Pelis is the brother of the Fisher King? Or am I getting that? Okay. And then, yes, I believe so. And then both of them Yglaise. are Percival's uncles, and I think both on his mother's side, so they are brothers. Right. So we just have Yglaise left. Yes. <gasps> oh no. Okay. Because Percival did have like twelve uncles on his father's side, but they all died in like the first sentence where it was introducing him. That's right. They were all knights who died horrifically. Yeah. Okay. Last of his line or something. The group of hermits there to perform the funeral, and I have written in the margins, should a group of hermits be called a contradiction of hermits? Absolutely they should, that's amazing. Thank you for appreciating my terrible jokes. But the group of hermits there to perform the funeral inform him that Pelis was slain by Aristor, specifically to spite Percival. I mean, he had it coming. Percival, not Pelis. Yeah. Somebody was bound to do this whole honor killing thing. But, like, you know that that's what Percival would have assumed anyway, is like, oh, this was about me. Because he's that kind of guy. true, he is that kind of guy. Rip. Percival stays for the service, and just as he is about to ride off swearing vengeance, a damsel arrives. And we have our only dialogue of Branch 31. Head for you, sir. Needs avenging. Whose head? The son of your uncle, Brunbrandalis. Who killed him? Direct quote. Sire, the Red Knight of the Deep Forest, he wickedly and treacherously led his lion against your uncle's son when he was not on his guard. I'm already on a vengeance quest against Aristor. The Deep Forest is between here and Aristor's castle, so you can take care of this on the way. Pretty convenient. 
Pretty much, yeah. And that's the end <laughs> of Branch 31. There are so many lions in this text. Yes, that's another theme. Past Mac, I believe you mean motif. It's like disembodied heads and lions. Yeah. If you get both of right here. Is she just she does just ride up with a head and go like head head for you, sir. You have to avenge him. <laughs> Immediately in a new campaign. Immediately. <laughs> First quest, retired knight, guy shows up with a head. Done. Yes. So branch 32 begins and Percival is riding through the deep forest, accompanied by the maiden with the head. Oh, yes. He encounters two boys bearing two hinds trussed up for a feast. The hinds, not the boys, are trussed up. He asks where they are headed, and it turns out they are going to Aristor's castle. They also tell him, 1. Aristor's wedding is in four days. 2. They don't approve of his cruel custom either. If you'll recall, his cruel custom is that he kills all his wives within a year. Oh, gosh. At first I was going to say, wow, like, Percival's really going to be a wedding crasher, really? And now it's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, that's okay. That's all right. Yeah. Be a wedding crasher. And three, Aristor is currently out in the forest fighting the Bold Knight, who you may remember was previously the Knight Coward. That's right. Good for him. He's doing something with his life. Well. Oh, no. Percival rides off to catch Aristor and finds him winning his fight. Oh, no. told that the Bold Knight is already mortally wounded. I spoke too soon. I was too hasty. So he he did something with his life. Past tense, because he's dying now. Oh, but, oh, buddy. Percival intervenes and swiftly overcomes Aristor, who tries to surrender. He says, No, let me live and I will forgive you my hatred. To which Percival replies, Henceforth I shall suffer your hatred quite happily, I think. But your life you shall have no longer, for God will not permit it, and death is all you deserve. And he chops off his head. Pretty sure that's Percival, not God, who's permitting it, but all right. I think Percival thinks God is guiding him. These guys need some help. Although that's pretty cool. Like you're about to kill somebody and you just say like, oh, I'll suffer your hate gladly. It won't last very long. Yeah, that's a good line. That was pretty good. Anyway, Percival takes the head and hangs it on his saddle bow. Oh, uh... Percival, kill count. Let me do the math real quick. <laughs> 1,513. Ooh. And the saddle bow is, is that, that's the rear of the saddle, is it not? Hang on. You know, it just occurs to me, I've heard the word saddle bow so many times and it's never come into my mind to check what part of the saddle that is. Yeah, it's, it's the rear part of the saddle because... He would presumably be riding an English saddle, not a Western saddle, because Western saddles didn't exist at the time. Presumably, yes. Yes. Okay. Oh no, this says it's in the front. That's weird. Dictionary says it's the curved part behind the rider, and then Merriam-Webster says it's the curved arch in the front of the saddle. So, it's one of those. It's either in front of him or behind him. Well, to quote my medievalist professor from undergrad, there's only one real dictionary, and then there are a bunch of books that some guy wrote. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm going True. to use my university account to... Ah, uh, yes. The Oxford English Dictionary. Wait a minute. I don't have to do this. I have the print version. <laughs> Let's go. Be right back. <laughs> this is why we are medievalists. This is what we love doing. We will absolutely always use the print copy if we can. Listeners, you can't see it, but it is massive and beautiful. 
The Oxford English Dictionary, the real dictionary, <laughs> says it is the arched front part of a saddle tree or of a saddle. I don't know what a saddle tree is, but I'm already ha holding the dictionary. A saddle tree is the framework which forms the foundation of the saddle. So it's the front part. The front part. Which Good I guess deal. makes sense, because the bow is the front part of the ship. The bow, yes. Also, I know you're responding, but I'm not wearing my headphones because I got up to get the dictionary, so I have no idea what you're saying. I'm going to put it back now. It's the bow. The bow of the ship. All right. I'm glad that's sorted. Now that we've figured that out. Right. He hangs the head on his saddle bow and takes the bold knight to a hermitage for last rites. The maiden then reminds Percival of her vengeance quest, and he sets off. He meets a wounded knight who says he has just escaped the Red Knight's lion... His horse is wounded as well, so Percival sends him to the hermitage where he left Aristors and the Bold Knight's horses a minute ago, and says, like, take one of those. Sure, why not? We get an aside telling us that this wounded knight chooses Aristors' horse, rides off on it, and is shortly thereafter killed by one of Aristors' knights in a case of mistaken identity vengeance. That's brutal! Because they're like, that, that guy's either. riding Aristors' horse, he must be the one who killed Aristor. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Our author did not have to put that in and deliberately did. Yes. Just saying. That was a choice. Percival, meanwhile, has a brief action scene where he kills the Red Knight's lion and then the Red Knight himself. Nice. It's what we expect of him. Percival, kill count. I've already forgotten what my math was. 1,513. Well, it's... Yes. So now it would be 14. Yes. Unless I did it wrong last time, in which case it's 13 now. It's it's a lot. It's a is lot. Is what it is. Percival kill count too many. Indeed. He then escorts the maiden back to her castle, which the Red Knight had taken from her. He continues on to one of Aristor's vassal's castles. A vassal castle? I didn't castle. realize that rhymed when I wrote it down. <laughs> the vassal castle where Dandrain is being held and rides in in full armor carrying Aristor's head. We get an odd note. In his hand, he was holding Aristor's head by the hair, and the vassal was astonished that he should be carrying the head of a knight like that, implying that there is a better, more appropriate way to carry the head of a knight. In a bag, I would presume, but I kind of like the hairstyle. Well, I mean, like, if you're going to carry a head around, it seems reasonable to do it by the hair. That's true. Like what are you, like, are you gonna hold it by the stump? No, yeah, you're gonna, gonna you're gonna, yeah, your it's you gonna wanna... be gross. You're gonna hold it by the hair. Yeah. Maybe it's because it was so like rude. Like how dare you hold a king's head that way? Right. You should you should cradle it gently. <laughs> Why is it not gilded in gold? You need those little um. I don't know what they're called. What are the things you use to hold corn cobs? Oh my gosh. You need to put those in the ears and like. <laughs> No! Hey! That is horrifying. Thank you. What about on a pike? We're completely disregarding the usage of heads on pikes Horse. and sticks. That's probably how you're supposed to carry a knight's head. That's classic. Yeah, on a, on a pike. Instead, he's doing it by the hair? How uncouth. All right, I will accept this as truth. <laughs> Anyway, he throws the head on the floor, which is probably also a etiquette violation. I'm sure. In front of Dandrain and tells her the good news. 
The vassal is surprisingly cool with this, turns out he didn't like Aristor much, and treats Percival with great hospitality. I mean, I can't imagine that you would like your boss if he's killing his wife every other every year. Yeah. I mean, I've got to assume that some of Aristor's vassals are either just as misogynistic or just don't really care. I mean, for but, sure. For sure. Ugh. But, I mean, I feel like that's a red flag that there are probably other issues with him. Like, he's probably not a very nice person generally. Absolutely. Yes, serial mur murder is definitely a red flag. I'm <laughs> glad I've taken that bold stance. <laughs> Yikes. Anyway, uh, he receives Percival with great hospitality, and the head is tossed in the moat. Huzzah! For the alligators to eat. After staying that... Are there... There are definitely not alligators in France, right? There are lions. Why can't there be alligators? There was an alligator at the White House for a little while. In the 1800s, I think. Well, alligators are at least native to America. That's true. I did not consider that. I think it's America and China that have alligators. That would make sense. Okay, but lions are also not native to Europe. That is true. Okay, yeah, I guess we've got to give it a pass. If they can have lions, then they can have alligators. This is my headcanon. All right, I'll, I'll accept it. After staying there a while, Percival escorts Dindrain back to Camelot. Iglaise receives them joyfully and tells Percival that Groucha is looking for him. Percival doesn't seem rushed by this, however, because he once more stays at Camelot, quote, a long while, unquote. I mean, it has been 30 chapters, so yeah. he's not really in a rush because this, this was the beginning quest. Fair. While he's there, Dandrain expresses a desire to, quote, never be married save to God, unquote. Probably some kind of trauma related to the whole almost getting forced into marriage thing. Understandable. Entirely understandable, actually. So she and Iglaise end up setting up an abbey around the Tomb of the Holy Pliers. Ah uh, yes, I forgot that was the only other option for women in the day. Well, she did specify save to God, so... Okay, true. Being a nun sounds like... Not just the... saved from marriage, but also to God, that makes sense. Yeah. After some time, Percival heads out adventuring again and soon finds himself taking lodging with the brother of the knight who had been killed for riding Aristor's horse. Percival does not share his involvement in that incident. And it has nothing to do with anything. It just happens. Like, the knight is like, this happened to my brother. And Percival's like, that sucks, man. And that's like, that's it. <laughs> I mean, I guess Percival didn't really need know about it. We didn't, we don't know whether he knew. Yeah, that's true. He might have not made the connection. The next day, because again, this is not an important plot point that <laughs> dropped in there. The next day, Percival stays with a hermit who warns him that there are knights in the area searching for the Slayer of Aristor and the Red Knight in order to take vengeance. Of course. Not long after leaving the hermitage, Percival encounters two of those knights and kills them. Of course. Oh, past me already did the math for that. Let's go. So now I can confirm that this is... Percival kill count 1,515. Shortly after that, Percival meets another knight who has a message for him. Oh no. I don't think I have a... I don't think I'm making you read this one. I'm reading this one. Okay. Sire, I come from the castle of the Black Hermit. As soon as you get there, you will find the maiden of the cart, who begs you by me to press on with your journey and win back the heads which were seized from her in Sir Gawain's presence. You may remember this from the very beginning, is Groucha has a cart full of severed heads that are like sealed in metal. Yes. And when she was riding with Sir Gawain, a bunch of people came out of the Black Hermit's castle and stole the heads from her. 
And Sir Gowan was like, this is a bad place where they rob people on the road. And at no point does anyone comment like, why did you have those heads? Why did they want those heads? They just did. They took the heads. Why is why is not relevant to this story? <laughs> it's the only question I have. I mean, yes, because we're why does anyone people. value these things? <sighs> I mean, other than as we previously said, bones covered in metal are cool, but still, these aren't even relics. No, they're just heads. Anyway, if Percival does not win back the heads, he will never again enter the castle that he has conquered. But sire, continues the messenger, I beg you hurry, for I have just seen the most pitiful sight here in the forest. I heard a knight leading a maiden on a horse and beating her with a great whip. I was riding past on one side of the clearing and he on the other, so that I saw him through the trees that stood between us. And I thought the maiden was crying out for the son of the widowed lady, that's Percival, who had won her castle back for her, while the knight was saying that because of him, I think again because of Percival, he was going to throw her into the Serpent's Ditch, which is a great name for a place. True. An aged knight and a priest are riding after the knight, begging him to have mercy on the maiden, but he is so cruel that he will not hear of it. He is furious with them for their demands, and he looks as though he will kill the two of them. This is not the first man who has done this. No, we've seen this before. It's almost a trope in, like, Arthurian romance. Ugh, gross. Don't like it. Do not approve. Yes, don't whip anyone against their consent. Ten out of ten. <laughs> Thank you. Very important caveat. Percival rides to the Serpent's Ditch, where he finds the maiden who had encouraged him to kill the Red Knight being whipped. So this is the one who brought him the head earlier. Okay. The knight doing the whipping recognizes Percival's horse, which he had taken from the Red Knight, they swap around horses a lot. They, they really do. And the two do battle. Percival unhorses the knight, who breaks his leg in the fall. He tries to surrender, but that doesn't work, because it's Percival. Percival not, does not accept surrenders. Here we go. So, quote, He bade the old knight and the priest dismount, and then had the knight dragged down to the ditch, which was full of serpents and snakes and vermin. It was dark and deep. And when the knight had been thrown in, he could not long survive against all those creatures. 1,516. There's nothing else to say. That's that. Yep. We're so desensitized I do like that there's this. just a ditch full of snakes that they're like, I will throw you into the ditch of snakes. No, I will throw you into, you the, into the ditch, the ditch of, of snakes. snakes. That's, that's what parents tell their kids. If you're not, <laughs> if you do not behave... Frank Riel, if you do not behave, I will throw you into the ditch of snakes. Do Was not that another Tolkien name, or did you just make a noise? I just made that up on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I took Franklin and Gabriel and smushed them together. I didn't think it was Tolkien, but I was like, Riel, maybe. <laughs> I need something that vaguely sounds like a saint's name, I don't know. Anyway, we are then told that Percival's, quote, terrible justice, unquote, frightens off anyone else from trying to take the maiden's castle. I mean... So I guess good for him. <laughs> good for her, I guess. Percival continues adventuring and arrives in the land of Queen Jandri, the blind pagan queen we heard about earlier. Yes, that's right. She's still blind. He meets a knight who warns him about the pagan nature of this land and also passes along the news of Lancelot's conquest of Oriand. Soon afterwards, Percival arrives at a castle where a boy is chained to a post of the gate by means of a collar, like some kind of guard animal. 
the boy recognizes Percival as a fellow Christian and warns him about the nature of the castle. Ah yes, because we have to remind everyone how horrible the pagans are. Yes. That is the purpose of this. So, quote, here is what the, the guard boy says about the castle. Oh no. It is the most forbidding castle I know, and it is called the Mad Castle. There are three knights within, who are young and fair indeed, but as soon as they see a knight of the new law, which apparently they can just, like, smell or something, they go out of their minds and turn wild so that nothing can withstand them. But here there also lives one of the most beautiful maidens I have ever seen. She takes charge of the knights when they go wild, and they are in such awe of her that they dare not disobey any of her commands. They would do great harm to people if it were not for her. Because I live here, they put up with me and I need not fear them, but many Christian knights have come here and never left. This just upholds all of the toxic masculinity that we've previously discussed on this podcast. Problematic patriarchy! Because what we have here is essentially like Beauty and the Beast to the max, which is already not great. Because we've got men who are uncontrollable except for a woman's touch. The woman tames the man, and that is all she does. That is her singular role. I just... I don't like it. That is a good point. I did not think of it in those terms, but you are absolutely correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because here's the thing, and a lot of y'all are going to hate this. I distinctly remember being told in youth group that... I already hate this. Oh, I know. It's terrible. (laughs) That it is our job as women being more sensible in terms of like sexual desire. Like since we don't have as great a libido as men, that we cannot tempt men. It is our job to keep them from wanting to have sex with us. And it's just rape apologetics. Yes, it is. Yes. Thank you for continuing the trend of every time someone says to me, I was told in youth group... They say the most horrifying, toxic stuff I've ever heard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was also straight up told that, quote, handholding is the gateway drug to sex, and I have never stopped laughing. I mean, I guess it's a step. (laughs) Yes, but the thing is, it's like... Like, it's technically closer (laughs) than not touching at all. Yes, but that was the thing. It was like, you have to be very careful when you decide to hold hands with each other. Because once you start holding hands, soon, that won't be enough. Then, it's gonna be, you know, arm in arm. And then arm around shoulder. And the side hug. And then, it's gonna be a full frontal hug. And it, like, went on. And it was like, there will be a flame. And once you ignite the flame, it won't go back down and i'm sitting there as like a 13 year old going this is the most up thing i've ever heard in my life is this how these people live do they not hug people like in their lives no that's the thing is that the other weird part about it was that everybody in youth group hugged each other and i was not a huggy person it made me really uncomfortable but like a romantic hug is different than a friendship hug because one is, is it? one is agape and the other is like philos. Oh well, I guess that's <laughs> accurate. <laughs> but I mean, the physical act isn't different. I know. So yeah, it's mm, that is what this reminds me of. Is that? And by the way, by the way, may I just point out here that this is not biblical whatsoever? Because Christ straight up said, if you are tempted. If you see a woman and you are tempted to lust after her, pluck out your eye and cast it away for sinning. He did not say, oh, it's the woman's job to dress like modestly. 
so that you don't tempt men into, you know, lusting after you. Like, yeah, dress well, whatever. But his whole point was that it is on you if you have those thoughts. It is not on the other person. Yeah, but I mean, come on. What what could possibly be less relevant to the teachings of the Christian church <laughs> than, than the what words Christ of actually Jesus. said? <laughs> yeah, I know. So anyway, anyway, that's what this reminds me of is current modern day youth group teachings. This woman has to tame these men because their their unbridled masculinity is so much that only a woman can tame them. That is her job. I feel like that's a pretty good reading of this, honestly. <laughs> there you go. You could write a paper on that. Yeah, there's there's something there. There's something there for sure. But anyway. Right. Anyway, where was I? Oh, Percival uh, is learning about the castle. Uh, he goes in anyway. <sighs> but is met and again warned by that maiden. She's like, hey, by the way, murder, brothers, murder, Christians. And he's like, and I quote... Damsel, if it please God and you, they will not. But it is good to see such a miracle, for it is only right that those who do not believe in God should turn mad when they see things that come from him. So basically, he wants to see them freak out. <laughs> of course he does. The provocateur extraordinaire. He goes further into the castle and meets the knights. They do indeed go mad as soon as they see his shield, because his shield has a cross on it, so they don't need to use their special like Christian sensing powers. It's right there. But divine intervention causes them to not attack Percival and instead to kill each other. Then what was the point? Why even bring this up? To add to Percival's kill count? Ugh, I guess. 1,519. Oh my gosh. The maiden cannot stop them and is deeply grieved. Percival says... And I'm quoting again directly because this is Percival's grief counseling, and it's 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 something. Oh no! Also, really quick before you get into this, I just want to say that this is entirely like do not bash on this woman grieving that she could not save the save the lives of these three men, even though it's not her fault because she has been told her entire life that it is her job to keep these men in line. Yes, that is not Percival's take. Oh Lord, here we go. Percival's take is. O oh, damsel, do not weep, but repent of this false faith, for all those who will not believe in God will die in madness like demons. Thanks, Purse. Yeah, it was like they had it coming. Oh, gosh. He's not good at this. Continuing in, in direct quotation, Percival told some boys there to carry the bodies out of the hall, and after they had thrown the bodies into a rushing river, he killed them all because they would not believe in God. The castle was now cleared of all heathens, except for the maiden and those who served her, and the Christian who guarded the gate. Gee, thanks. Yep. The maiden shows him hospitality, because she's got it. Also, he just killed, like, everyone in the castle except her personal servants and her. Yeah, let's not make the guy mad. But is clearly still upset. Percival shares some words of comfort. And I quote, Damsel, it is no use grieving thus. Comfort yourself in some other way. Like what? Well, sadly, the narrative decides that the maiden does find another way to comfort herself. She notices how hot Percival is. No! And he is able to convince her to be baptized, at which point he leaves. Okay, that's better than where I thought it was going. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take that. I mean, she does, like, 
where I say that she notices how hot Percival is, there are like several sentences of her falling in love with him. Yeah, but she doesn't screw him. No, it's Percival. He's asexual. Yes, I'll take that. I'll, that is a victory. For this text, that is a victory. Yes. Although there's actually surprisingly little sex for all of the like, because every time the women throw themselves at the knights, the knights are like, no, I am on a quest. That's true. That's true. That is the whole paradigm of chivalry, I suppose. Yeah. Although it's implied that that's not normally how it works. Because, like, Lancelot, his affair with the queen is canon. And it's said that Gawain was a big flirt and True. messed around with the women, but realized that he was on an allegorical holy quest and decided not to for a bit. What a weirdo. This is this text is so weird. Okay, sure. So... But Percival is is just straight up ace. Yes. We're, we're reminded several times that he has no sexual feelings. Yes. And the navel of a virgin. And the navel of a virgin. That's right. I had <laughs> I had forgotten about that, but he does have one of those, yes. Percival next comes to the castle of Queen Jandri, where he has an odd exchange, which I guess I have to do both halves of because I didn't <laughs> put it in here. Oh, no. I feel like you skipped a few. Yeah, I think I skipped doing this chapter. Ah, alas. But anyway, he says, My lady, I seek only what will be for your own good if you do not object. You have come, she said, from the mad castle where the three brothers were killed, and that was a great shame. Good job, me. I've chosen. I'm now doing two different voices that hurt my throat. Oh. <laughs> I was at the castle, my lady, and I would now have your castle turn to the will of our lord, just as that one has done. By my life, she cried, if your lord has as much power as they say, it will. My lady, his strength and his power are a good deal greater than they say. I would like to see that for myself soon, she said. And so I pray you, do not leave me until I have tried. What's she trying? What's she about to do? It's unclear exactly what she thinks she's about to do. Oh no. But to everyone's confusion, like, it, it actually says that this, that this is astonishing to the people of the castle. I'm sure. She allows Percival to stay the night. That night, she dreams of the nativity and the crucifixion, which are described for like a page. Like we're just given like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yes. Like, you know the story. Yes. And wakes up with her sight restored, ready to be baptized. So what she was going to try, I don't know. But what happened was she had a dream and was like, ready to be Christian now. <laughs> Completely rejecting my fervent previous belief. <sighs> The power of the Lord. Yep. She also threatens death to anyone who does not likewise convert. Of course she does. Of course she does. That done, the branch ends. The end. So, branch 33. We're picking up with Melio of Logris, who has heard that Gawain is in prison and wants to do something about it. So he heads out and is soon distracted by the worrying sight of a maiden crying over two hanged knights. She informs him that they were hanged by the Knight of the Galley, who is going around killing Christians. We've heard of him, have we not? Percival visited the castle of the galleys. Ah. I don't know if this is if this is related okay. or if this is new. Okay. Melio buries the knight, then escorts the maiden to a chapel, where they find another maiden with another dead knight. These poor Just women. everywhere around here. These poor women. Melio asks the new maiden what happened, and she drops some knowledge. Sire, she replied, the knight of the galley killed him yesterday morning, and I have to watch over him tonight. 
The knight is going to come back here tomorrow, and then go to a castle where Sir Gawain is to fight unarmed with a lion. And the lady whom I and the maiden you have brought with you serve will also be taken tomorrow to the place where the lion is to kill Sir Gawain. And she will be delivered to the beast too unless she abandons the new law, for she was brought to believe in it by the knight who came to the mad castle of which she is the lady, and we will be devoured with her ourselves. But the maiden you have brought with you would have had a forty days reprieve after my death if she had continued to guard the knights who were so foully and wrongfully hanged. But you did well to take them down from where they were hanging, whatever may happen, because now the Lord of the Red Tower will take the knight of the galley's castle. If you didn't follow that, <laughs> you're normal. <laughs> if you didn't follow that, you're not a medievalist. Don't worry about it. You don't want to be. To try and summarize this, she's with a knight who was killed by the knight of the galley. The knight of the galley, I assume, is going to come back tomorrow. And then he will then go to a castle where, for some reason... I don't think this has been explained before. Sir Gawain is going to fight a lion. I can't remember. It's been so long. I don't think so. And the lady whom both of these women serve will also be taken tomorrow to that same place and thrown to the lion. And we're told that this is the lady of the Mad Castle, the one whose brothers just killed each other and then who converted. Why? Is this ever Cause. explained? Because. Cool. Nice. Right yep. on. And for some reason, there was going to be a 40 days reprieve if the maiden had continued to guard the hanged knights. But because of the fact that Melio took them down from their hanging, now they're okay. there is no reprieve, but that will somehow cause the Lord of the Red Tower to take the Knight of the Galley's castle. Sure. Through some Rube Goldberg machine of fate, I assume. So they're fine? Well, they're dead. No, the women. The knights. The women. Oh, the women. I think they might also be being threatened to be thrown to the lion. Okay. Yes, we will be devoured with her ourselves. Yes, they will. They will be thrown to the lion. I thought that was before with... he cut them down. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Don't try and sort it out. Okay. It doesn't well, matter. It doesn't matter anyway. We'll just wait and see what happens. Yes. The next morning, Melio encounters the knight of the galley, quote, galloping through the forest like thunder, driving the lady of the mad castle ahead of him with a whip. So there we go with that again. Indeed. Although I, I do like that the wording of writing like thunder has been around for so long. That's cool. Yeah, that's I like that. Good. Bad circumstance, but cool phrase. A dwarf rides behind him. So what is Warwick Davis wearing today? A cowboy hat, obviously. Of He's on horseback. Melio fights the knight of the galley and kills both him and the dwarf. Not long afterwards... Melio encounters another knight, and they have a conversation filled with exposition. Okay, it's not super long, so maybe that's why I didn't type it up past Mac. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Sir Knight, he cried to Melio, have you any news of the Knight of the Galley? What has it to do with you? asked Melio. I don't think I've ever given Melio a voice. The Lord of the Red Tower, he replied, has had Sir Gawain taken to a glade here in this forest where he is to fight with a lion unarmed. But he is waiting for my lord, the knight of the galley, who is to bring two maidens whom the lion will devour after it has killed Sir Gawain. Is the fight to take place soon? asked Melio. Yes, said the knight. Any time now, for Sir Gawain has already been taken and tied to a stake until the lion comes, and then he will be unbound. But at the moment he is being guarded by two knights in full armor. But tell me about the knight of the galley if you have seen him. Ride on, he said, and you will have news of him. So we're just being told, like, hey, here's what's going on. Gowan, tied to a stake, 
ready to be eaten by a lion. We're just waiting for the Knight of the Galley to show up with a bunch of women who will also be eaten by a lion. You heard about him? You know where he is? Nice. <laughs> They're so straight to the point. I love these guys. Melio soon comes to a glade where Gowan is tied to an iron stake. He kills the guards and frees Gowan. Of course. News of this, and of Queen Jandri's conversion, soon reach the Red Tower, and the knights there flee for whatever reason. That's not explained, just given in, the, in an aside right after the rescue. Well, probably because they're pagans and heathens and whatnot. Probably. I assume there's some connection there that they're pagan, and they're like, oh no, paganism is, is being wiped out here. The religious genocide has come to our country. So they... Rightfully flee, I would say. Yeah. Melio and Gowan ride out of the forest and come upon a scene where a crowd of knights, I think these are meant to be the ones from the Red Tower, are trying to board ships, but one knight is fighting them and knocking them into the sea. This is Percival, further confounding our kill count by just killing an unspecified number of people. Of course. Eventually, Percival ends up on a ship as it sails out, still fighting. <laughs> That's a great fight sequence, like, He's through the port, he's going on on all the little, like, mounting blocks or whatever, the ramps that get you onto the ship. He doesn't even notice that the ship gets underway. He's too yes. busy. That is exactly what I imagine. Gowan and Melio are kind of unhappy that they weren't able to reach him in time to help and are kind of concerned about where Percival is going to end up because he just kind of <laughs> he <kinda laughs> sailed just away off. on the ship, surrounded by enemies. Oh no! <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen to him. That's probably not great. <laughs> not our problem anymore. Yikes. Soon thereafter, they run into a knight who catches them up on events at Arthur's court, which I will quote in case anyone needs a refresher. Sire, very bad news. It's more about Brienne, is it not? It is more about Brienne. Huzzah. The bad news is King Arthur is ignoring all of his knights in favor of Brienne of the Isles and has thrown one of the finest knights of his court in prison. What is the knight's name? asked Sir Gawain. Sire, he said, he is called Lancelot of the Lake. He had reconquered all the isles that had been taken from King Arthur. And we actually know about this. Yes. Because it happened... A couple chapters ago. Yeah, it happened during this recording. So all the stuff that Lancelot did, we are recapped. And then we are also told, King Arthur will soon be short of friends. And King Claudius is assembling a powerful army to reconquer Oriand and advance upon him by the advice of Brienne of the Isles, who is betraying the king. But Arthur has made him his seneschal and chief agent of all his land. Who could have seen this coming? I know. More, more Grand Vizier stuff with the finger drumming. Yes. Steepling in front of his face. But, you know, in a French way. Because we have to remember that Brienne of the Isles is French yes, whenever we picture That's him. right. I always forget this. Those damn French bastards. The branch then ends on Sir Gawain being unhappy with this news. Suitable. Branch 34, another short one. Claudus is invading King Arthur's lands. He takes Oriand and is soon fighting in Albany. The people of Albany ask Arthur for help. Again! This has been... Albany's been going back and forth for a while. Yes. He sends Brienne, who is unable to defeat Claudus. Again, you may recall that earlier there had been fighting in Albany. Arthur lost Albany. Arthur sent Lancelot, who got Albany back. Arthur lost Albany again. Arthur sent Brienne, who failed to get it back. Arthur sent Lancelot, who did get it back. Now it's lost again, and he sends Brienne, who fails again. Who could have guessed? Oh, yes. no. <laughs> Arthur then has a conversation with Lucan the butler. <clears throat> 
You seem unhappy, my lord. Well, my queen is dead, and I haven't seen my finest knights in a while, and I definitely need those knights on account of the war. You know, my lord, this is your fault for throwing Lancelot in prison. I'd let Lancelot out, but I worry he'd take revenge on me. I don't think he will. He's too much of a himbo for that. <laughs> As always, excellent ad-libbing. Thank you, thank you. Arthur decides to release Lancelot, who indeed does not choose to take revenge for his imprisonment. <sighs> okay, buddy. I would've, but, you know, good for you, I guess. Yeah, like, almost nothing is made of the fact that Lancelot is in prison. Like, he was imprisoned for a few chapters off stage, and the first time we hear about it again is Arthur going like, I kind of want to let him back out. <laughs> I wonder how often this happens in Camelot. You know, that might explain it. Like, the lack of revenge. Maybe Lancelot's just like, oh, this just again. Okay. Oh, here we go. He'll get over it in a couple days. It's fine. Yeah. He used to do this to his wife. <laughs> Yeah, every time he caught her and Lancelot in bed together. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Brienne of the Isles, however, is upset that Lancelot has been released and gives a him or me ultimatum. And when Arthur tries to make peace between the two, Brienne storms out and joins King Claudius openly. Ooh, the, the final treachery. Yes. I see. We are now switching back to Percival for the final branch. The final branch. So we're switching back to Percival, who has killed everyone on the ship except for one sailor who converted to avoid his wrath. I don't blame him. Damn. As a result of this, he is now lost. I, I, I have no words. I know. This man has no brain cells. Only kill. That's it. You damn it. Yeah, I, I just love that he's, he's killed the entire crew except for one guy. And I was like, okay, now that we've taken care of that, where the hell are we? Are his priorities in order, question mark? Who's navigating this ship? No, I killed him. What about the... Mm. I've, I've killed everyone who knows where this ship is going. And it's just this poor, like, green sailor who tucked himself in the very bottom between crates of hardtack. Yep. Sir. <laughs> so he's now arriving at an unknown island. And I quote the description of his arrival, because it's very dramatic... As they neared the castle, they heard four horns sound upon the walls most sweetly, and the trumpeters were draped all in white. Up they sailed, and as soon as the ship reached the harbor beneath the castle, the sea retreated, leaving the ship on dry land. The only ones on board now were Percival and his horse and the mariner, i.e. the one sailor he didn't kill. And they disembarked and entered the castle by the gate facing the sea, and there they beheld the most beautiful halls and most beautiful chambers ever seen. They looked beneath a tall tree with branches spreading wide, and saw the clearest and most beautiful fountain that any man could describe. Surrounded it was by rich golden columns, and the sand around it seemed to be of precious stones. Beneath the fountain two men were sitting, with hair and beards whiter than new-fallen snow. Yet their faces seemed young indeed, and as soon as they saw Percival they rose to meet him, and bowed to him, and worshipped the shield that hung at his neck kissing the cross, and the boss which held the relics. Are we back in Avalon? We're definitely somewhere similar. Okay. I don't like it. Yeah, if this was in a D&D &D campaign, this would be highly suspicious. Absolutely it would, but of course. <laughs> but what's going on here is that these men are very impressed that he has the shield of Joseph of Arimathea. They recognize it, and they're like, oh, that's that guy's shield. You must be someone special. 
As Percival is led further into the castle, he notices on the other side of the fountain a glass cask holding a knight who seems alive but unresponsive. I think we're meant to be picturing a Snow White style, like, glass coffin scenario. Makes sense. Creepy. Yep. I would immediately think it was a saint, like a relic. Right, an, an incorruptible. Yes. Which I just realized I should define. That would be a saint whose body is so holy that it does not decay. Yes. Which was believed to be a thing, probably because of a few cases of natural mummification. Which is really cool. Yes, which is also really cool. But anyway, yes. Or because of God, if you swing that way. Percival then has dinner with 33 men who all seem to be 32 years old, which is a weird thing to specify. Yeah, all right. And who all wear white garments with a red cross on the chest. Is Did that happen to be the age that Joseph of Arimathea died? I think it's the age Jesus died. Jesus died when he was 33. Maybe they're all specifically just younger than Jesus was when he died. I'm going to look it up just in case. 86. Okay, no. That makes sense. It like, does. He had, to, he had to go all the way to Britain. T true, true. I just wanted to double check because these numbers, these numbers are weird. It does see, say, and I quote, they all seemed to be 32 years old. I don't know how you look at someone and go like, he seems to be 32 years old. Like that's more specific than you can usually guess. Yeah, you, usually, yeah. But okay, sure. He then sees something odd, which I will again quote. Percival took more pleasure in gazing at them, the, t the 32 year old men, than in eating. No, no, it's, oh boy, okay. And while he was looking, you know, now maybe he's not ace, maybe he's gay. But he, he had so many opportunities to get with Lancelot, and Lancelot That's and Gawain true. were all looking at him like, ooh. Yeah, maybe he's just appreciating their holiness. I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, I'm, you're right. I'm going to stick with him being ace. And while he was looking, he glanced up and saw a golden chain descending, laden with the finest jewels, and from the middle hung a golden crown. The chain descended perfectly. It was attached to nothing save the will of our lord. So it's just <laughs> in midair, just coming down. All right. As soon as the masters, that's the 32-year-old men, saw it descend, they opened a great wide pit in the middle of the hall. Everyone could see the opening quite clearly, and the moment the pit was uncovered, the greatest and most lamentable cries ever heard rose up from below. And when the worthy men in the hall heard them, they raised their hands to our lord and all began to weep. Percival heard this grieving and wondered much what it could be, and he saw the golden chain descend to the pit and hang above the opening until the meal was almost over. Then it rose up once more into the air and away, and Percival did not know what had become of it. The masters now covered up the pit, which was terrible to behold, and the voices that rose from it were pitiful to hear. Okay, alright. Yeah. Hell or purgatory or, uh... Yeah, hmm. something like that. It's, it's hard to know exactly what to do with that. It's, it's like there's a crown on a chain and it just like descends, and they're like, oh, the crown's coming, let's open the pit, and there's screaming coming out of the pit, and the crown goes in, <sighs> and it stays there for a while, and then it comes back out, and they're like, oh good, we can close the pit now, I was tired of the screaming. We gotta go back to Q&A Castle. Yep. That's the only thing for it. I guess it was a hermitage, technically. No, it was a castle the first time. Oh, okay. Time. Cool, cool, cool. Pelis also has the Q&A power. Yes. Okay, that's, that's, that's what That's the hermitage you remember. After dinner, Percival is told he may not leave unless he promises to return as soon as he sees a ship with a red cross on its sail. Percival does promise this. 
and they explain that once he returns, he will be crowned with the crown he saw and become king of a nearby Isle of Plenty, whose king, quote, has been chosen to go to a greater kingdom. I assume that means he's dead. Yes, most likely. Also, that seems like a really bad idea. Have you all met Percival? No, he'll make a great king. Oh my gosh. <sighs> I don't like these decisions. However, if he rules poorly, he will be banished to the Isle of Need, whose inhabitants were the ones he heard crying and wailing earlier. We also get this tidbit, which is another direct quote. And I tell you the Black Hermit, against whom you must go, has sent a great number of his people there, to the Isle of Need. I see. The head sealed in silver and the head sealed in lead are there, and so are the bodies to which the heads belonged. But the heads sealed in gold are not there. You must bring them with you when you come here, along with the heads of the king and queen. But all the others, as I have said, are on the Isle of Need, and we do not know if they will ever leave. Well, that's So that's convenient. what's happened to the heads that were stolen. They end up on the Isle of Need, in a pit. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, he needs to get those anyway, so he's in luck? Yep. The master of the castle will not tell him about the knight in the glass cask. Percival wants to know, but the master's like, no. You don't get to but know that. But is willing to provide a little, I saw them before they got big brag. Apparently, he saw the grail before it was used to collect Jesus's blood. Doesn't that mean when it was, was just, just a, a regular grail? container? <laughs> wow, you're so cool. <laughs> I liked that. That he's like, I saw it when it, before it was holy. How old is this guy then? They're all, they've all got to be ancient. Well, remember, this is set like within living memory of the crucifixion. Right, but that's still got to be like old. Yes, but he's been preserved by God's power. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Why God chose to make them all look 32, I don't know. I'm 32 and I don't think there's anything particularly special about it. I don't know. Maybe Maybe they all had really cool beards like you. No, oh, maybe. Thank you for complimenting my Absolutely, beard. it takes work. Anyway, he also asks Percival to leave his shield behind as a pledge to return, <gasps> and brings him a snow-white shield in exchange. But how will Dindrain recognize him? I know, everyone rec- Well, that's probably a bonus for Percival, because he loves using other shields to go in disguise. This is true. They're only enabling his bad behavior here. They are. Percival is happy to exchange shields, of course, and he sails on coming to an island with a ruined castle. He is greeted by a lady and two young maidens of poor clothing but noble bearing. It turns out that this lady is the widow of Percival's uncle Calabrutus, and is also first cousin to Lancelot. A wicked knight has stolen her lands. This may sound familiar because we hear a lot of this. Yes, we do. And she is waiting for Percival, of course, or Lancelot, possibly, to come help her, etc., etc. Oh, I actually have written, etc., etc., we've heard this song before. Yes, we have. In addition, her son, Calobrus, has been imprisoned by said wicked knight, who is called Gohart of the Castle of the Whale. Gohart. G-O-H-A-R-T. Gohart. Gohart. That's a, that's a pretty solid name. I mean, it kind of sounds like something that, like... You'd sh shout in a Saturday morning kids cartoon before summoning Captain Planet, but... <laughs> yeah, true. Anyway, Percival reveals his identity. He's like, oh, I'm Percival, I'll help. And then he sails on, as just assuming that he'll run into the right people and the right places, as he always does. Of course, as the genre tells. So he's going until he finds a ship with a red cross on its sail. Yes, when he sees a ship with a red cross on its sail, he has to go back to the island now, that he just left. just to remind everyone, that would be, in fact, the English flag. 
that would be the English flag. But I think it's the English flag because it was like a recognizable symbol. Because I feel like white shields with red crosses are all through romances. Yeah, yeah. But also like in the romances, are they not Arthurian romances and therefore English? That's a good point. So I have no idea which, <laughs> which, which came ones... first. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. So he's looking for an English flag, presumably. Yes. Apparently. It seems like this would be particularly easy to find at sea, especially in English waters. So I feel like this was kind of a cop out. Well, remember, Percival is guided by God. True. So he'll only see it when it's the right time for him to of see it. Of course. Speaking of Percival being guided by God, he next arrives at a tall rock sticking out of the sea with a small house at its narrow top. Within the house is Calobrus, shackled to a rock. Oh, I was about to say that that would be, like, the perfect life as a hermit, but shackled is less enticing. Yes. That's really the only downside. Yeah. But they have the following conversation. Percival begins with, Sir Knight, you are well shackled. That is a direct quote. Uh, yep. I'd love not to be. Don't blame you. This looks rough. How do you eat? The daughter of the sick knight comes from a nearby island and brings me food because she feels sorry for me. I'm trapped here until someone takes the key from the wicked man who's imprisoned me here. You are Calobras, right? Uh, yeah. I'm your cousin, and I plan to help. Good to know! Like, oh, you're that insane b that I ran from all those years ago. I do like that he asks how he eats. I feel like that's something that needs to be discussed more. True. It's, <laughs> Whenever it's, we have these people who are, like, trapped somewhere. It's also a plot hook, but it's well, it's a well-planned plot hook. Realistic. Ten out of ten. Percival leaves and sails on. He soon reaches a little islet off the coast of a very nice-looking island, where he sees a man and a woman in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. Unfortunately, no, the woman <laughs> shouts for help. Oh, okay, not as, not as enticing, cool. And we learn from her, like this is shouted back and forth between the ship and the tree, the man remaining silent the whole time. We learn that they are up the tree hiding from a great serpent. The man is Gohart of the Castle of the Whale. The serpent is actually not her biggest concern, though, because Gohart has abducted her from her father's house for unsavory purposes. And she would like help with both problems, please. <laughs> yes, I would too. Also, serpents can climb trees, hon. Apparently not this one. All right. Percival lands and fights the serpent. I have a quote. The king was filled with shame at what the maiden said and did not utter a word. But Percival, hearing that it was he who held his cousin prisoner, leapt from the ship straight away, sword drawn. The serpent saw him and came at him with its jaws gaping, breathing great bursts of fire and flame. But Percival thrust his sword right through its throat. Then he said to the king, you can come down now. That is a direct quote. He kills the serpent in like one sentence and says, and I quote, you can come down now. Poetry. I appreciate the nonchalance. Indeed. No biggie. I'm Percival. The maiden informs Percival that the serpent swallowed a key that Gohart dropped. And Percival slits open the serpent's throat and retrieves it. Gohart comes down from the tree, and the following dialogue occurs. Gohart speaks. Thank you for the rescue. 
Percival seizes him and forces him onto the ship. Excuse me, do you know who I am? Yes, that's why I'm doing this. I should have used a Karen voice, but okay. <laughs> yeah, he, he really is basically like, how dare you treat me like this? I am King Gohart. And he, Percival's like, yeah, I'm... I know. I'm, I'm here. I know who you are. That's, that's why that's I'm why here. That's why this is happening. <laughs> The maiden, who turns out to be the aforementioned daughter of the sick knight, is thrilled. They sail back to Colobrus's rock, where they unshackle Colobrus, shackle Gohart, oh. and throw the key into the ocean. Damn. I think that was the lady's idea. Probably. I'm gonna roll with that. We are helpfully told that Gohart starves to death. Percival kill count? <laughs> God. Did I even write that one I down? I don't think so. I think there's too many. Yeah, I think I skipped that one. The land Gohart had taken is then restored to Colobrus and his family. So, new quest, solved quest, real quick turnaround there. That's how we like to see it. One session, done. Yep, that was a one-shot. Percival sails on and reaches a castle that burns with a terrible fire. He asks a convenient nearby hermit about it and is told this was the castle of King Pellis before the whole matricidal business we heard about before that drove Pellis and Joseus to abandon it for hermit life. You may remember Joseus was jealous about something to do with the succession and killed his mother because she was like pushing him out of the line of succession in favor of his brother. And then after that whole business, everyone kind of just bailed and Pellis and Joseus both became hermits out of shame for what had happened to their family. Understandable. What had happened. What Joseus did to his family. Let's not give him a pass. Yes, indeed. Let's not passive voice our way out of that <laughs> one. He is also told, quote, From this castle and one other, the fire will be kindled that will bring an end to the world. Unquote. He's just going to drop a prophecy like that on us in the final chapter? Yep. Dang! Ballsy move. And I think that's, in fact, the only reference to that we hear. It's just like, by the way, from here a fire will be kindled that will end the world. I like it, as all prophecies should be. Short, to the point, and completely obscured. Yep. Percival sails on, and reaches an island where twelve hermits in twelve chapels watch over twelve tombs. These tombs, it turns out, contain Percival's father and Percival's paternal uncles. Oh, all of them. Yes. This is where they all ended up, apparently, on this little island. Okay. He prays at his father's tomb, stays for mass, and then sails on. Right on. A moment of respite. I feel like we've jumped into a completely different genre for this last chapter. Suddenly it's the voyage of the dawn trek. Yeah, for real. Finally, Percival arrives back in Britain, near the place where he left. Quote, he touched land at the edge of a forest below the Red Tower, whose lord he had killed when Melio rescued Sir Gawain. Then he mounted fully armed and set off across the land, which was quite deserted, for he himself had killed most of its people, though he did not know it. He ends up back where he started and is just riding along going, I wonder why there's no one here. And it's because he killed everyone and he just doesn't realize it's a place he's already been. At least the author has a little bit of self-awareness. <laughs> right? Wow. Like, oh man, he's, I've really had this guy depopulating whole, like, baronies. I have never seen an Arthurian legend do that. Ever. <laughs> have have that aside that the main character had killed most of an area's population? Yeah, and then like went back through and like thought about it. Well he doesn't he doesn't like I'm not saying he's meditating it on it, I'm just saying he's noticing <laughs> he just it. He notices. 
kind of empty in here. Property values went down. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh my gosh. Percival rides on, and he finds an odd scene. At the gateway of a castle, a leprous knight lies with his head in a woman's lap, but he keeps insulting her. <sighs> it turns out this is that couple that Lancelot forced into marriage. Back again, but now with leprosy. <laughs> Things just keep getting worse. This knight is also the brother of the aforementioned, also leprous, sick knight. So he must have given the other guys leprosy? Is that what, how they thought this happened? I do think they thought leprosy was communicable. They did. So. Absolutely. That's why they were forced away. Yeah. Weird. The lady shares with Percival the following additional information. One, for some reason, the leprous knight is very interested in owning a specific valuable gold cup. Two, in fact, if he receives said cup, he will forgive his ill will towards the lady. Three, the cup is being carried around by a knight and maiden who wish it to go to the finest knight in the world. Four, there will therefore be a tournament at the White Tower to win the cup. This all seems highly convenient. So he's just like, I wish I had this cup. You can win it at a tournament. That seems like a weird way to do advertising, but all right. It also sounds like something out of a video game. It's like, I need the cup. You can win <laughs> the, the cup. cup if you go to this place and win the tournament. <laughs> oh, it's the perfect quest. This guy was a great designer. Anyway, Percival stays the night and leaves the next morning. He rides until he comes to the wild forest of the Black Hermit, which I just thought was a good phrase. Indeed. Where he meets Groucho. Since his reconquest of the Fisher King's castle, her hair has grown back. You may remember she was bald when we met her. That's right! And she no longer carries her arm in a sling. Yay! The curse is broken! She encourages him to attack the castle of the Black Hermit, and he does. Because he's Percival. Because he's Percival. As Groucher predicts, once the guards see it is Percival, they stop firing arrows and lower the drawbridge because they wish to trap him inside. That actually seems kind of smart. Inside, Percival jousts with the Black Hermit and unhorses him. He falls badly, breaking two ribs, and the men of the castle decide he is beaten. Naturally, this means the following. I have a direct quote. When the men looking on saw him fall, they threw open the cover of a great pit in the middle of the hall, and straightway there rose from it the greatest stench ever smelt, and they took their lord and flung him into this chasm of filth. Then they came up to Percival and surrendered the castle to him, and put themselves entirely at his mercy. I wouldn't want that castle. It has a pile of filth in it. <laughs> <laughs> it has a pile of filth in it that apparently the people who live there are perfectly happy to throw the lord of the castle into if he loses a joust. Actually, I wonder how many castles had, like, vats of filth. Where did their waste go? It had to have gone somewhere. I think I've seen, like, drawings of castles where the, like, garderobe opens up over the moat. Yeah, so have I. It's like a poop chute. Yeah. It just comes out the side. That would be gross. I mean, it's better than the alternative. True. Yeah, but I I, mm, I, don't really want that on the side of my castle, I feel like. But somebody <laughs> probably washed it off. I know. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, Groucho then comes in and takes possession of the heads that had previously been stolen from her. Good for her. We've come full circle. The people in the castle of the Black Hermit promise to be good now, and Percival moves on. Percival attends the LARP at the White Tower and wins, and I'm gonna... Apparently, I was getting salty about this because it says, and wins, comma, blah, 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 comma, you know the deal. The author is clearly getting tired of this as well because he's speeding through events almost as much as I am. 
that's fair. It, it he does really just keep going, and it is sort of like, okay, all right, come on, wrap it up, wrap it up. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of these things are just not relevant. No, they're not. It's like we have to tie everything up and get to the end, and then we're done. It turns out this cup comes with another vengeance quest. Uh, woohoo! Yay! <laughs> yes, Melio of Logris has been killed off stage. Come on, our boy! I know he was doing he so was. well. By Brudon, sister's son of Brienne of the Isles. This whole tournament was, in fact, arranged by Sir Gawain in order to foist off the vengeance quest on someone else for whatever reason. Is this the is this the original vengeance quest that he didn't do? Because I thought that one got settled. No, this is a new one. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, because the other one definitely was settled. Yeah, the last time we heard about Melio of Logris, he was alive. This is a whole new thing. It's like, oh, he's dead. Um, Sir Gawain should have avenged him, but he didn't. So... Instead, tournament. Whoever wins does it. That That's rough, buddy. Man, you can't get, like, an official knight to avenge your death, so you're forced to pull lots in a tournament. Yep. That's, that's rough. It also tells us that the cup had been given to Gowen by Emily, the Elder Maiden of the Tent. So there's probably some kind of violation of regifting etiquette here. Definitely. Anyway, Percival accepts the Vengeance Quest, but sends the cup to the Leprous Knight from before, so he can solve that problem, tie it up cool. in a bow. Cool, alright. We got the achievement. Next one. Not long after, Percival encounters a maiden who asks for help. A knight has kidnapped the younger maiden of the Tent. We, I believe we named her Isolde. Yes. And is beating her with the flat of his sword. <laughs> Percival is pointed in the direction they went. <laughs> I know, it just keeps happening, right? Oh At least it's not gosh. a whip this time. He's a, a slight change up. Oh my gosh. Alright. So Percival soon catches up, and it turns out the knight is Brudan, the guy who's supposed to kill. Oh good. So he kills him. So convenient again. Yes. Well, the, the author is clearly trying to wrap this up, yes. but he keeps accidentally adding new things. He's like, oh, okay, gotta oh, do that, gotta do that. <laughs> It's like he's got a list of things he needs to include, and now he's just rushing through some of the last stuff he had planned. He probably did. I would not be surprised if he had a list. Well, he needs to outline better, because this is this, this is pacing is messed yeah, up. Yeah, come on. We need the XP to level up to 20. Yeah. Anyway, he tells Isol to take Brudan's head to Gowan. He then says, and I find this interesting... I wish I could have made them a present of all the heads of all their enemies, but that would surely displease God. The one thing that would. Yes. Rip. And them is Lancelot and Gowan, by the way. Oh my gosh. It's like, I just wish I could give Lancelot and Gowan the heads of all their enemies. We're such good friends. But that friends. would displease God. Oh my gosh. The previous owner of my copy of this book is apparently also skeptical of this reversal regarding the godliness of violence, having written, oh, <laughs> the next to it. Oh? <laughs> Are you sure? <sighs> or maybe the concern is less with mass beheading and more with the decorating challenge posed by collecting all those heads inside Arthur's court. That would be a lot of them. That, yeah, that would be a problem. Yeah, what would you do with them? How, how do you make that look nice? Christmas tree. That has, that has some merit. Christmas tree. Yeah. Cover it in right. gold, put some presents underneath. This is a very bad idea. <laughs> I have no criticism of this. What do you do? What do you do? So that's how you can collect heads and not displease God, as you put them on a Christmas tree. You could also do like a, um, like a string and just go around the court. Are you still on Christmas decorations? Because I'm picturing like a popcorn string with heads. Why not? I mean, that's what I that's what I thought of. Or is that more of a Halloween thing? 
I guess it could, it's fa- it's like fairy lights. Fairy, fairy lights, lights yeah. have no holiday, and neither do severed heads. That's true. There should be a holiday for severed heads. Halloween is kind of a holiday for severed heads. We have jack-o'-lanterns. We do have jack-o'-lanterns. And we do have the Headless Horseman. I always did like that one. Anyway, the knight with the cup delivers it to the couple Lancelot had forced married and returns to report that they are now a happy couple. Yay! It only took how many years? Who knows? Time is a four-corner square. You know, it really is. Okay. He also reveals that he is the brother of the knight coward and has some conflicting feelings about his brother becoming less cowardly but dying as a result. This is not further examined. That's so sad. There was there was a glimmer of hope that maybe we would have a meditation on some theme in this book, yeah. but no. No. Like maybe the problems with toxic chivalry. <sighs> Alas. Percival goes to the Grail Castle, where his mother and sister now live. He stays there for a long time, living a holy life, quote, until his mother died, and his sister, and all the people of the castle. I think we're meant to assume natural causes over a period of time, not like suddenly they all died. <laughs> and then he or went back on a murder them. <laughs> oh, no! I wouldn't put it past him. A disembodied voice in the chapel tells him to divvy up all the castle's relics among the hermits of the forest, which he does. After having done so, the ship with the wait, red wait, wait, cross wait. on it. Read its... that one more time. A disembodied voice in the chapel tells him to divvy up all the relics from the castle of the Fisher King among the hermits of the forest. Providing quests for the new generation. Yeah, I mean, right now there's one place that has all the great relics, and I guess God is like, hey, that's not fair. We need to spread them out a bit. Go give them to hermits. Redistribute the relic This wealth. is a natural ecosystem of D&D. It is. This is incredible. Is. We've got a forest of narrative. We've got hermitages everywhere. we got FAQ Castle. We got old heroes. When they get old, they redistribute their loot. It's balanced, as all things should be. <laughs> I haven't even seen that movie. Neither I have I. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, anyway. Anyway, after having done so, the ship with the red cross on its sails comes for Percival, and he goes to that island from before. Joseus moves into the Grail Castle until he dies of old age. At which point, the castle is left abandoned, though even as the rest of it crumbles into ruin, the chapel remains intact. The castle, where, incidentally, the grail no longer appears, becomes a mysterious ruin from which few return! Yay! <laughs> we are given a short anecdote about this, which I wanted to share. This is amazing! The news traveled to every land, but no one thereafter dared go there, save two Welsh knights who had heard about it. They were fair knights indeed, very young and high-spirited, and they swore to each other that they would go, and full of excitement they entered the castle. They stayed there for a long while, and when they left they lived as hermits, wearing hair shirts and wandering through the forests, eating only roots. It was a hard life, but it pleased them greatly. And when people asked them why they were living thus, they would reply, Go where we went, and you will know why. That's terrifying. Yeah, so apparently that's what happens if you go to the castle. Either you don't return, or you come back and you're just like a woodwose. I'm gonna be a hermit now. Yeah. Okay. The text then ends as follows. Here ends the holy story of the Grail. Josephus, who recorded it, gives the blessing of our Lord to all who hear it and honor it. The Latin text from which this story was set down in the vernacular was taken from the Isle of Avalon, 
From a holy religious house which stands at the edge of the lands of adventure, there lie King Arthur and the Queen, by the testimony of the worthy religious men who dwell there, and who have the whole story true from the beginning to the end. I like to think Grandpapa Josephus is sitting there like Bilbo Baggins with his book. <laughs> He's like, the end. And Percival died, and I don't know how I'm still alive. And he closes the book. <laughs> However, you may recognize that there are a lot of unfinished plot threads. So one manuscript apparently in inserted a brief epilogue into the colophon. Yes, let's go. I need to know what happened to our girl boss queen. And it reads the following. After this story, the tale begins of how Brienne of the Isles left King Arthur's court because of Lancelot, for whom he felt no love, and of how he was promised aid by King Claudus, who had seized the land of King Ban of Benwick. And the tale tells how and in what way he vanquished Lancelot, and how Calobrus came to King Arthur's court to help Lancelot because he was of his line. The tale is very long and weighty and full of adventures, but the book will say no more of it now until another time. I can respect that. Yeah, so it's just like, so there's a whole story about how the rest of the plot Goes. with King Arthur's court and whatnot wraps up, <sighs> but, yeah. Which... I might add that this is a very, very common thing for manuscripts in this sort of Arthurian tale to do. It's also found in Irish legend. And usually in other Irish legend, there is an accompanying myth that actually goes with it. Whether or not this mm -hmm. one was actually followed up, I have no idea. But a lot of times you'll hear like, in the story of, I don't know, this person... You can also read more about this in this other tale, but we won't get into that now. And then they continue on with their story. So that's that's a fairly common trope that extended back even to like Beowulf, because Beowulf pretty much opens with like, ah, remember shield chafing? And you get micro stories in your bigger stories. Mm -hmm. And then as the stories got bigger and more complex, people would just be like, yeah, and you can read about it in the other story, but I'm not going to recount that here. Yeah, like Beowulf alludes to the fact that Heorot burns, but we never actually get that story. Right. It's just said, like, it's gonna burn, and, like, you all know the story, right? Yeah, yeah. you know the story. Everybody We're knows not the story. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there we go. Yep. Wow. And this is gonna be a long episode because we still have segments oh to do. Oh my gosh, we still have segments to do. All right, let's go. Okay. What say you? Best dialogue. I really like Percival's declaration that he would love to deliver the severed heads of all Lancelot and Gawain's enemies to them, but that would displease God. And it seems completely at odds with his entire personality. 100%. It was just the author saying that he couldn't write more. He's yes. like, ah, I'm not going to do it. I really enjoy, you can come down now. Yeah, it's also really good. Oh my gosh. I feel like there were some other ones. I did enjoy Percival saying, you are well shackled. That's why I kept that there. Just going, ah, you're stuck here. Ha -ha -ha. The rant about the lady of the castle of the Griffins is pretty good, too. Yes. She gets so upset. It reminds me of Teodel's saga, where like the lady, the, the Syrian lady, the queen of Syria mm -hmm. at the time, like goes on this massive rant against Teodel. That was incredible. Yes. And I, I think it is only enhanced by Lancelot then afterwards going like, you know, it's it's red flag, lady. <laughs> Gonna have to say no, sorry. Yeah, I think those are those are pretty good. Yeah. All right. Altobrast. Best death out of so many. Well, we don't even know how Melio died. No, a lot of these deaths happen off off stage. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And a lot of them are just like, ah, and he was knocked off his horse and died, or he stabbed and died. What about the guy, the guy who got, like, his head was tossed into the moat? That's That was good. It's not how he died, it was just how he was disposed of, so I don't know if it counts. I liked the guy who got thrown into the serpent's ditch. Ooh, definitely, that's the best one, for sure, for sure. Yeah. All right. Mythical critter. We've got those griffins again. Those weird man-headed griffins. I'm still not over them. No, they're weird. I feel like we already talked about we them, did. though. We did. We have the snake. The serpent. The serpent. Yeah. Yeah. Breathes fire. Breathes fire. I think that's just like the the rim worm snake dragon combo. That's just yeah. all tied up together. It's some form of dragon. Yeah. It's it's, it's the serpent of whatever it Serpenty is. Thing. A worm. All right. Okay, D&D game. Here we go. Where to start? Yeah, I saw you taking notes. Do you want to share some? I got some. Okay, so we've got the retired knight or the lady who just like waltzes into the court and she's like, I got a head. Got a revenge quest. Anybody want it? (laughs) That should absolutely be how you give quests to your players. (laughs) If someone just presents them with a severed head and goes like, here's your quest. (laughs) Here you go, delivery. Oh my gosh. And then we've got... The haughty lady who is just too haughty for her own good. She's so proud of what she can do. She doesn't actually stop to think if it's a good plan. She is a really good character. Just full steam ahead with your plans. She's so fun. Without stopping to think about like whether they're actually any good first. Mm-hmm. We've got Alex Andrea, who just completely messes up Arthur. Or not Arthur, but um, who was it? It was Lancelot at any given chance. Yeah. I feel like that's a great character to include in your campaign. 100%. The Vengeful X. And we've got the fake quest and the Lady of the Griffins. Yes. Who puts out a fake quest to lure the hero to yes. her because she loves him, having met him for all of like an hour. And the whole thing was that he was going to die in the first place. He's like, oh, yeah, if you pull the sword from the stone, you get to marry my my daughter. But, um... I'll kill you if you do, so... <laughs> and then she lets him escape, and he's like, no, I'm good, thanks. I don't want to smash. Yeah. And then she gets really upset. <laughs> oh my gosh. So she gives him a fake quest. 10 out of 10, you should include that in your campaign. That is an apt summary of the whole but thing. There's a lot of women who like who go for these knights, and these knights keep saying no, and they get really, really upset. It's like nice. It's the nice guy behavior, but for women. It's like nice girl. I feel like that's a thing. I think there's a subreddit for that. There's definitely a Nice Guys Reddit. I don't know if there's... I'm sure they're probably just the same one. Yeah. But yeah, because it's bad. That's a bad rant. Yeah, they get real upset. They get real upset. Because then the whole lady goes on this rant and then Lancelot just K's her. Like, yeah. red, 805. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> it's right there. I think the reason the ladies are so upset is because it's not normal for the knights to be refusing them. Like, they're not used to that. That's true. Like, usually when they're on less allegorical quests, they're all like, yeah, well, you know. I'm a smash. They're DTF. Yeah. But suddenly they're not. And they're like, and the ladies are like, excuse me, what? What do you mean, no? <laughs> look, look how hot I am. Like, it's, normally this would be. Like, come on. It's the we only. We should already be naked. Exactly. It's the only orgasm I'm going to have all year. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> okay, there's also the weird, like, 
leper guy, like, plus his, like, forced, he's got a forced marriage, then he gets leprosy for some reason, and then he's got the quest for the cup. It's not even the grail, it's just the cup. Yeah, it's just a A cup. cup. It's a nice cup, it's gold. You could include that one in there. Whether or not you attach it to the whole forced marriage thing is up to you. It's just another quest out for grabs. What else? Hmm. We've we've got the whole tomb trick with the like Lancelot goes in and flips the thing open as fast as he can. Yes, and when he takes out the shroud and the sword, it starts crumbling around him. It's very like oh, those were load bearing magic items. <laughs> load bearing magic items. I like that. That's good. Yeah, definitely. And of course, the whole thing was a trick in the first place, but you could use that as its own thing. Yes. And then there was the weird island that Percival sailed to. Did he go yeah, back? I'm not sure what to do with that. Yeah, the ship with the red sails shows up after he spends some time living a holy life at the Grail Castle. Okay, yes. And he leaves. Okay, yes. <laughs> I don't think it's much longer in the original. It's not. No wonder it slipped past me. Yeah, the only details is that they're like, hey... It's super holy, and there are fair people on him. Like, there's a long description of, like, about a quarter page of how nice it is. <laughs> wow. And they lay the bodies of the Fisher King and Percival's mother in nice tombs. And then, yeah, yeah. And then he leaves. There we go. Yeah, it's, it covers, like, a quarter of a page. Boom. Okay, the castle with the vat, you could include that if you wanted. Don't know how. And then there was another vat. There was another... Thing. Yeah, there were two. There, there, there was one like the the crown descended, right. and you open up the floor, and there's screaming. And there was another one, and at the castle of the Black Hermit, they just had like a pit of filth that they threw. Yeah, away. like pit of filth, cool. You can include that pit of screaming though, and yes. having to go there to collect a bunch of gold and silver coated heads. That is a quest. I I actually do think it's interesting and like something that is more at home in a D and D campaign than in a medieval romance is that there's a pit on this island that's a portal to a different island. Yeah, that's really true. Because I was trying to figure that out and I didn't really comment on it. But how would that actually work? Because it's a pit and you don't expect to see another island in a pit, but it's another island and there's people on it and it doesn't make any sense unless it's a portal. Yeah, that's the only way I could interpret yeah, it. Absolutely. Or it's an allegory for hell. Or purgatory. That was the other thing I was thinking. Either purgatory or hell. But that would mean that Percival went to hell and then came back. Well, maybe he's a Christ figure and he harrowed hell. Oh my gosh, he did not. He did take the skulls. He took the heads. Do not make Percival a Christ figure. (laughs) Not not today. He's supposed to be. Uh, I hate that. I hate that. No. No, absolutely not. In no world. Okay, I think we've covered all of those. Alright. How many ages hence shall this our lofty scene be acted over? Modern culture, except for the the weirdly apt toxic masculinity allegory I made. Patriarchy (laughs) is, is, is kind of our only thing here. There's not much else. I mean, Avalon is still a thing. Portals are still a yeah. thing, but that's not per- Perla's Vows exclusive. From yeah. here, yeah. I mean, patriarchy isn't from right. here either. It's just, it's just particularly notable. Yeah. The I will say the um, there is something very weird, and this is something to dig into more if we wanted, but there's something very weird about these men who have all the opportunity to 
have sex but decline it and then all the women who are wild about the fact that they can't have sex with these guys but otherwise do not want to have sex with anybody else i feel like that's really weird is it maybe they just have a really specific type and they're kind of entitled i mean yeah that also makes sense i don't know what i'm not sure what you're getting at expand why have the men say no so much because we've seen in other like you know in gawain and the Green Knight, she does not say no. Yeah. And Lancel. Wait, no, Gawain well, does okay, say Gawain no. Gawain says no the to Knight. the to the lady. Yeah. yeah. Lancelot does not say no. I don't know if he does. I feel like because there was another one where I kept saying he was such a womanizer, right? Or is it? I think that might have been this one. Was it this one? So he. We haven't really seen Lancelot all that much outside of this. Weird. Okay, so so what is the deal with? And I'm just talking out loud here. This is not great poetic intelligent thought what is the deal with having all the men say no and the women getting upset is this commenting on their chivalry is this upholding their chivalry i think it's meant to be them resisting temptation but i don't know why they have the women get so upset other than like to demonize women as temptresses that's my question is why why make the women all so upset unless we're like playing into the whole like women are thing i mean it might just be the text having a inherently misogynistic bent i guess weird weird yeah i don't have an answer to that although if you do i'd, I'd love to hear more I'll about have, your well, thoughts. i'll just have to dig more into it i think i'm just finding it very very interesting because the most recent books modern books that i've been reading all have guys that are weirdly fixated on female characters and the female characters aren't reciprocating and so it's weird to see that in verse in a medieval text i think it's what it is i'm like these men don't want to the women that's weird i'm so used to that (laughs) well to be fair people wanting to is like one of the main drivers of society true absolutely it's the way that it's depicted in these in these books is fairly interesting but Anyway, it's. I guess I'm just like sitting here looking at how the juxtaposition between the medieval text and the modern text, going, it's it's backwards. <laughs> but anyway, take that as you will. That is my nonsensical rant about sexuality and pearless vows. All right, I will. I will take that as I as I will. <laughs> I don't have anything to add. Oh, I hope that was informative to someone. Anyway, maybe it. I, I'm sure it inspires. Thought. I hope so. If if you're on the Discord, or if you're not on the Discord, come on the Discord and tell me what you thought about that, or how how you read it, because I'm interested in hearing other other ways that people have read that, or have listened to it through us. The Dungeon Master's Dictionary. Okay, terminology. Any interesting words in this one, other than the names, which are always cool. We had some cool names. We know what a saddle bow we is. We do now. know what a saddle bow is. Huzzah! (laughs) We learned something today. I think that's it. Yeah. All right. Street smarts! Uh, Watch for red flags. Yeah. Watch for red flags and uh, red crosses. Yeah. What else? There's got to be more. When you encounter one of those situations with someone trapped in an inaccessible place, you should always make sure to ask your GM, how do they eat? Very true. Or, where did they poop? Yeah, you could get a quest out of it. Or you could annoy your GM by making them have to think of it. You're a problem player, Mac. (laughs) 
I am a friend. <laughs> you were great at my table. Thank you. All right. I feel like there's got to be more. There's just a lot of, I mean, there's, everyone's problematic in this text. Like, it's, it's a, it's not a gendered thing. They're just problematic in different ways. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't tell your kids about knights early on in their lives because they might leave the house and go commit manslaughter. Yeah, just don't tell your kids about knights. Knights are bad role models. They're very bad role models, apparently. Because that's what started this entire thing. Right, yeah, Percival learning about knights. Although maybe if he had been told about knights even earlier, he could have been desensitized to the idea. Maybe. And it wouldn't have been such a revelation. You know, like how, how converts are always the most zealous. True, true. Or like if you give your kid a cigarette when they're 10 because they think it's cool, they try it and then they realize it's disgusting and so they never smoke ever again. Does that work? I have heard of it working. Right. So I mean, it just sounds irresponsible. Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> I assumed it was something that was either made up or that no one did anymore. I don't think it's done very often anymore, but I have heard it. Right. I think those are all the street smarts we have. I mean, I, I think most of them speak for themselves in this text. Yeah, this text is fairly upfront about, like, just throwing problematic things out there. And straight up saying it's problematic. Yeah. So, all right, okay. And it's it's the the morals it's trying to get across are pretty clear, even if also problematic. Yeah, that's the other half of it. Ugh. Best moment. Best moment. I like the fake quest. You know what? That's yes. my favorite part. The fake quest is is brilliant because you don't expect it from this text at all. Like you go this whole way, you're so used to the ridiculousness of this text, and then it throws a fake quest in there. Yeah, you know what? That is actually really clever, and I think it is the best part of this of this section, particular chunk. Definitely, of it. yeah. The court. Oh my gosh, I'm still not taking Percival. I can't do it. I won't do it. He's a terrible person. Did somebody already take Melio? I feel like I didn't, but you might have. Oh yeah, I took Melio last time. All right, okay. Who else do we have? Who's actually a good person here? Okay, actually, though, who do we have? Okay, let's see. We've got Girlboss, Lancelot, Gawain, Percival. We've got the two sisters. You already took Emily. Yeah. Maybe I'll take Groucha. Got Jandry. Oh, yeah, all right. Yeah, I, nobody's taken Groucha yet. Did you take Groucha? I did not. I'll take Groucha because she survived this entire thing. That is fair. Or the maiden of the cart. And she went through some sh- I'm just flipping through and trying to think of anyone. There's Iglace. There is Iglace. You know what? I should take Iglace. You should Iglace. take Iglace. That woman lived a very hard life. Yeah, we did get another mention of her. So she is in this section and she is a good one. Yes, definitely. That's much better. I was leaning towards uh, either Jandry or the Haughty Maiden. And I was like, <laughs> both of these people They're are both like- terrible. Yeah, like the haughty maiden makes bad plans. She'd probably be a pain to have around. Yeah. Jandri, honestly, she'd be pretty cool if she if she didn't flip flop because she had a dream. Yeah, true. She didn't do like if she, too if much she either. She stuck with it. Like, like she was so pagan that she was like, I would rather be blind so I never have to see a Christian. And you know what? That is hardcore. That is, I respect that is hardcore. It. She stuck to her... But then she had a dream in reverse. I was was gonna say she stuck to her beliefs, but she 100% did not. No, if she had, I would have picked her. Oh, man. Okay. Final rating. What are we rating this one? This one dragged a little bit. 
Yeah, I really think that this was the the weakest this one. This is probably not this is probably the worst of the Perlis vows. Because it's really clearly trying to wrap things up and not doing a very good job of it. I'll give this one a seven. I will match you at a seven. Boom. All right. And now we're done. We're done with Pearl's Vows. We're done with Pearl's Vows. Oh my gosh. We did it. I'm looking forward to doing a couple like short ones and maybe visiting the Gesta Romanorum a couple more times. Oh my gosh. Yes. Maybe it's my turn to pick something bigger. We'll see. Okay. Okay. Please, listeners, let us know if you want us to do another long one like this. This was our first, like, really big multi-multi episode one. Usually we just do, like, one or two, you know, episodes over a text. But this is a, this has been a pretty big one. So let us know if you enjoyed it. We'll get into some more bigger texts. Uh, but yeah, this one was definitely yeah. the right one to do first. Yeah, definitely tell us, like, is this too much? <laughs> Do we need to not do ones that take, I think this comes in at 10 parts. That's a lot. Because we have more we could do that would be bigger series. But like, if that is too much, let us know and we will not do those. Absolutely. Because that's, that's the fun thing about this podcast is we get to bring you all the weird, obscure medieval stuff. And I really like these long ones because we summarize them for you so that you don't have to suffer through the reading and the translation. But if it is, you know, too much, because we get sucked into our own little medieval world, let us know, because mm-hmm. we can we can do some little ones. That's why we're going back and forth with it. Anyway. Welcome to the Leech's Corner. Oh, let me find a cool animal. <gasps> the unicorn. You want to do the unicorn? Tell me about it's the unicorn. It's kind of long, but I feel like it's really cool. Okay. All right. The unicorn is more hot than cold. Its strength is greater than its heat. <laughs> the inflection you put on that. <laughs> what do you expect from me? <laughs> it eats clean plants. In moving, it has a leap and it flees humans and other animals, except those that are of its kind. How does it clean the plants? No, it eats clean plants. What are clean plants as opposed to dirty plants? Like the plants that won't Don't poison you. Don't you have to wash you. them? You know, because some animals can eat poisonous plants and they're fine. Okay. But then, like, that means that they are poisonous by, like, the laws of the great chain of being, you know? You gotta, you gotta get back into that medieval medical mindset. Gotcha. Okay, so the unicorn eats, like, pure, pure non-poisonous yes. plants. It especially fears a man and shuns him. Just as the serpent in the first fall shunned the man and got to know the woman, so this animal avoids a man but follows a woman. I feel like that is the Did he now? <laughs> I feel like that is the worst comparison to make. You're like, remember yes. the worst of all creatures, the one that God cursed? The unicorn is just like that. They both love women. <laughs> that is the worst. I also feel like saying he got to know the woman is not a great phrase. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty rough. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, moving forward. There was a certain philosopher who scrutinized the names of the animals and marveled greatly that capturing this animal by any skill was impossible. One day, he went hunting as he usually did and was accompanied by men, women, and girls. The girls walked separately from the others and played among the flowers. Seeing the girls, a unicorn shortened its leaps and gradually drew near. It sat on its hind legs, diligently gazing at them from afar. The philosopher, seeing this, thought hard about it. He understood that a unicorn could be captured by girls. Yes, let's use underage women as bait. (laughs) 
This is this philosopher is clearly not an ethicist. No. He approached it from the back and caught it by means of the girls. A unicorn, seeing a girl from afar, wonders that she has no beard, but does have the shape of a person. If two or three girls are together, it is more amazed, and it is more quickly caught when its eyes are fixed on them. Wait, so it's not that, like, it's attracted to virginity in, like, a purity? No, it's that they have no beards. I mean, that's less problematic. That's far less problematic, but <laughs> really weird. But it gets worse. It's like the whole purity shaming thing is like a, a an issue with you. Oh, no, no, no. Don't worry about the purity shaming. We're going to do class shaming instead because... Because the girls by whose means the unicorn is captured must be nobles, not country girls. They should neither be completely grown nor entirely small, but in the midst of adolescence. The unicorn loves them because it knows they are gentle and sweet. I see. So it's confused by what they are, but also knows they're gentle and sweet. Yes, apparently by their mannerisms, I imagine. Because men are all gruff and do the rooty tooty point and shooty thing, but the girls frolic among the flowers. <laughs> that is the gender binary, yes. <laughs> Once a year, it goes to the land that has the water of paradise. There, it seeks the best plants, which it digs up with its hooves and eats. From them, it has great powers, but it still flees other animals. It has beneath its horn something as clear as glass, so that in it, a person can look at his own face as if looking into a mirror. Nevertheless, it's not very valuable. What? The horn? The horn or like the, the, the thing beneath it, I guess. Yeah. I feel like it should be. So do I. But here we go. Here's how to prepare unicorn. Pulverize the liver of a unicorn and put this powder in fat prepared from the yolk of an egg, making an ointment. There is no leprosy of any kind that will not be cured if you often anoint it with this ointment, unless death is present for the one who has it, or God does not wish to cure it. Love that caveat. Yeah, that's always a get out of jail free. Is like, oh, look, my my remedies always work. The problem is that God didn't wish your malady be cured. You're just too sinful, buddy. Sorry. You didn't say enough Hail Marys that one time. You skipped one when you were when you were 11. And the Lord remembers. The Lord knows. Okay, moving on. The liver of this animal has a good heat and cleanliness to it. And the fat in egg yolks is the most precious thing in an egg and is just like an unguent. That is to say, it's like an oil. It's like a balm. Mm -hmm. Leprosy is very often from black bile and from overabundant black blood. Yes, as is known. As is known. From unicorn skin, make a belt. Gird yourself with it against your skin, and no strong disease or fever will harm your insides. Also, make shoes from its skin and wear them. You will always have healthy feet, legs, and loins. No disease will harm you in these places. I like how Jesus is like, also, make shoes out of unicorns. <laughs> this is Hildegard's Book of Health. I have to read it in a cheery manner. Okay. A person who fears being killed by poison should put unicorn hoof under the dish where his food is, or under the cup containing his drink. If they are hot and there is poison in them, it will make them boil in their vessel. If it, they are cold, it will make them smoke, and he will be able to tell there is no poison in them. Other parts of the unicorn are not suitable for medicine. So apparently its horn is just worthless. That's surprising. That's really weird. That like that the the thing that distinguishes it from a regular horse is not important. Not worth anything. Like, if you came to Hildegard and you said, I have a unicorn horn, she'd go like, well, that's That's nice, honey. Pointless. Enjoy looking at it, like, looking at yourself in the mirror with it. Yeah. Whatever. So that, yeah, there you go. All right. 
Anyway. Anyway, we should wrap this episode yes, absolutely up. we should. Okay. I think that's just all we have. Yeah, so unicorns are not as valuable as you thought they were. Yeah, for some, for reason, some reason, unicorn horns, yeah. just not, not important. important at all. Unicorns are still problematic, but in a different <laughs> way than you expected. They're really not all that interesting now that I've read yeah. a text about them. That's kind of sad. I'm disappointed. Dragons are so much cooler. Yeah. Oh. I've had unicorns in my D&D games, and I always play them as being basically just huge jackass because they're like, I am a creature of pure light and righteousness, and then they will slut shame. So, paladins. The yes. paladins of the animal world. But I feel like any any magical critter that cares about whether people are virgins is going to be an asshole. Yeah, that, that checks. Okay, but now it's not, they're not even interested in in virginity and the only reason like they're they're not actually it doesn't specify that they're interested in noble women it just says that that's like the best way to capture them because those are the most gentle sort of women according to some asshole hunter like philosopher's thoughts yeah i'm not clear on why they have to be young either i think it's just because they don't like they're not as grown and they don't have there's no beards and their hair's not as long or something i don't know I mean, but also okay. I know that some women do have facial hair, but I fe- but I feel like that's not very few women have full beards. Yes, and I feel like it's more. You know how some animals will come up to like human babies or human children. They'll get spooked by the adults, but they'll be they'll hang out with the little ones. I feel like that's what's going. I'm on I'm not there. familiar with that. That sounds like a bad <laughs> idea. Little ones don't know how hard to pet something. That's true. Largely, yes. But yeah, I don't know. But apparently, unicorns do not actually slut shame. That's good to know. All women can hang out with unicorns. There's no slut shaming going on here. That's... Although they they may care about whether or not you're being ladylike. Yeah. Just how different are you from a man? I don't know. Does it matter? Okay, so like, what does that mean if you're non-binary? They, they, would, they would be more... I think it depends on whether you have a beard. I guess, I guess it does depend on whether you have a beard. <laughs> <laughs> the two genders. <laughs> Beard and no beard. Beard and no beard. This is how unicorns see the world, people. Okay, we should stop. Yes. <laughs> uh, with that, dear reader, <sighs> listener, we'll see you next, next time. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Maniculum Podcast. Please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes to help support us. If you're interested in exclusive merch and continuous exclusive content, consider becoming a patron on Patreon. To see our sources and our notes, you can check out our blog, Marginalia, at themaniculumpodcast.com. You can also join our Facebook group, The Maniculum Podcast, for more medieval and geeky-related discussions. And feel free to reach out. We are always excited to listen to you guys and hear what you have to say. We're on Twitter, at Maniculum, and we're on Instagram, at Maniculum Podcast. Special thanks to Sandra Boyle for creating our music. You can check out their project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify. Yes, and when he takes out the shroud... The shroud and the sword. Thank you. (laughs) My... Something just happened in between my brain and tongue there.